You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, Faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Here's our big idea for today. The faith gifted to you by Jesus saves you. This saving faith is busy and not lonely. Okay, it's a hard one today. The faith gifted to you by Jesus saves you. This saving faith is busy and not lonely. Up to this point in the text, and in the first five verses of this week's scripture, we have been further introduced to those people who were the original readers and hearers of this letter. We know that they are Christians who mostly used to be Jewish. They have been made new creatures by the planting of God's word of truth in them. They now have Jesus as their Savior. We have learned that they are in need of a bit of help and a little bit of a pushing forward. Honestly, they became comfortable in their culture and place and comfortable in the faith that they needed to have shaken up a bit. They needed to be reminded of how they should act as followers of Jesus. 
They have forgotten themselves and believe that they can hear God's word being preached while also refusing to let it change them. They're lying to themselves, and it's bringing shame upon the church. The larger part of last week, we saw that they were acting like the world, favoring the favorite types of people in the world, while ignoring their fellow brothers and sisters who seemed less important. And they were refusing them mercy, which all of us, all of them, had received as a gift from Jesus. Starting at verse 14 and going to verse 19, though, today we see that this group of Christians who needed to hear this letter, uh, they seemed to think that they no longer needed to reflect the love of Jesus. They knew that they got their salvation for free, and they convinced themselves that since they were given it for free, they could live in that freedom and ignore God in his word. Back in verse 8, James reminds us that the royal law of God, that is the way that our king tells us that he wants us to be good citizens in his kingdom, um, those things are all still there. And, and in chapter 1, verse 25, we read that this law is a perfect law, and that in fact it is a law of freedom. In other words, the good news of the gospel is that we do not need our, our works to save us. Instead, we are completely freed from the wrath of God and the weight of our own sin, even when we fail at living in complete harmony with God's law. But it's also good news that once we are forgiven and the weight of that wrath and that the weight of our own sin is lifted off of us, we are freed up to go forward and make mistakes and fail and not be stingy with the grace of God in Christ. <laughs> See, we can now uh, go out and serve and love and sacrifice and give because we know that we have a good father who provides. We have a reigning savior who keeps us safe in him. And the spirit who pushes us forward into good works laid out for us by God. Which brings us to verse 14, this week's text, and a series of very snarky questions from James. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Now, do not misunderstand James. He took his time to write this letter and mail it to everyone who needed it and got the word um, spread out to all of those that were being persecuted and God the Holy Spirit gave him the words and kept it safe even up until today for you and for me. So don't misunderstand him. James wrote what he wrote, and God meant what he said. James is not asking, uh, can faith with no work even be saving faith? There's a slight difference here. Instead, he's asking, is it even possible for saving faith to not be working? Okay. <laughs> um, is it even possible for saving faith to not be working? Obviously, faith is important here, and we'll come back to that. But let's follow James and where he wants to take us. So, 
Is it possible for saving faith or real faith to not be working? Said another way, can a person separate faith and good works? Well, let's see. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. James gives us an example here that he has already touched on several times, and that is that of the poor. Someone who is without cash, uh, without family support, lacks a, a network or a web of people to care for them. And this specific person seems to be in the church. Yet here's what happens. The need is made known that this person does not have the necessary clothing or enough food to make it through the day. And whatever this person calls faith that's being asked for these things leads them to say, Oh, you're cold and hungry. Hmm. Go be warm and filled. It would be like meeting someone who's gotten stuck out in the rain and you say, uh, go be dry and comfortable. Did that help? No, they're still cold and wet and uncomfortable. Or in the case of this person, still cold and hungry and unable to experience any kind of real peace. Those words of be warm and filled and content are empty. They're lifeless. They're dead words. And James tells us that a faith that is empty and lifeless and dead looks like this. Uh, that you look at a brother or sister in Christ or a neighbor in need and you're able to help, but instead you do nothing. That's dead. In other words, it's not actually faith. It's like looking at a dead body and saying, this is a living, breathing human being. No, it isn't. It is a cold, lifeless corpse. James is saying, if you cannot see that you are Jesus' workmanship, made new by him for good works that God has laid out in front of you, and that you should walk in them. That's from Ephesians chapter 2 verse, uh, verse 10. If you can't see that, then what you call faith is just some empty wishes and hollow happy thoughts that show, in truth, a deadness and a slavery to sin that is not what defines the life of a Christian. James uses the poor as an example here, but it could be any need, great or small, that you see around you, and especially in the church. It could be that someone needs a phone call because they are alone and lonely, and you say, Whew, well, I sure hope that someone wants to speak to them today. Or someone needs prayer, and you respond by saying, oh, I hope that someone prays for them. You might be able to be more creative than me and fill in those blanks. You see what's happening around you and around us. Now would be the right time to assume that these people reading this letter or hearing this letter are not really Christians. 
they must have lied about being Christians, or they were ignorant, and they didn't know what they were agreeing to. Well, that is possible. But it is also possible that these are immature Christians. People like me, <laughs> and you. People who hold back in service to our brothers and sisters and our neighbor. Uh, because we cannot imagine that God cares enough about us and everyone else. <laughs> we can't imagine that God cares enough about us to keep extending enough love and forgiveness and mercy and time and energy and finances or whatever else you see God asking you to use and give and share. You can't imagine that there's enough of that to go around. The tap has to shut off at some point, right? Well, God is not limited like our water supply. He's not limited like you or me. And James continues in verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. <laughs> Luckily, I, I still only have to use my hands to count the number of times that Anchored Baptist Church has been called uh, a dead church. Uh, this could be a little bit of an awkward conversation to talk about, but I'm regularly confronted by people who wish to let me know that it is okay that our church is the way that it is because, well, you're a dead church. They attempt to comfort me by saying that I may still be a Christian, maybe, even though the Holy Spirit isn't causing people to do spontaneous and miraculous everything. You have the Bible, they say, and we will have the Spirit. Well, James sets up for us a different concept of what living uh, living and dead is. What, what is living and what is dead? The person who believes faith and work can be separated is blind to their deadness. Whereas real faith given by Jesus would say, here is my faith and here are my works and they're all bound up together. You can clearly see what's what, but you can't separate them. Verse 19. Oh, good. <laughs> you believe God is one. You've got your theology down. Good. You must have been taught that by mm, the devil, because he gets it too. And it makes those who follow Satan fear and tremble at the mention of the judgment of God. <laughs> when we studied Mark, we saw and heard of demons all the time saying true things about Jesus. But they also did not want any part of him. We can each of us claim that we have faith. We can be like the person who wants to wear the name Christian and not carry any of the baggage that comes along with that name. You know, baggage like the church, uh, definitely not other people in the church, and certainly not the truth about the cross of Christ, and, well, actually, not even my own cross. 
we can take the name Christian and say a couple of true things about God and and the work of Jesus and believe that our heartfelt seriousness about what we've claimed for ourselves is enough. People can do all of that without ever believing that any of the Jesus stuff was actually for them. The truth is, you cannot have faith without knowing what Christianity is all about. You also cannot have faith without knowing that it is true for you. And then the actual faith itself, the, the resting in and the relying upon the promises of God. <laughs> and knowing that that's for you. James continues in verse 20. Senseless person, or your translation might say, you fool. <laughs> Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Just admit it already. A faith without works is dead and useless and not saving. It can't do you any good. This is what James is saying. And then he goes on to give us two examples. Verse 21. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works? In offering Isaac his son on the altar, you see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That comes from Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. And he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. When I read these verses, they're a bit of a mess. Because doesn't this idea of Abraham being justified or made right by works go against everything that I have ever said in church? <laughs> sure. If you completely rip James out of his context and ignore everything that he has said up to this point, and will continue to say in the text. Remember our big idea for today? Uh, a shorter, probably better version, uh, would be something that theologians have been saying for hundreds of years. You are justified, or made right in front of God, you are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. You are justified by faith alone, but not by a lonely faith. Luther called it a, a busy and active faith. And this is the kind of faith Abraham is showing us. Now we read here about an event from Genesis chapter 22. And it is a gospel, good news, drenched picture of how God continued to bless Abraham. But the quotation about Abraham being justified before God is from Genesis 15, when God knocked him out and guaranteed his own faithfulness, that is, God's guaranteeing God's own faithfulness to Abraham. But James correctly sees these two events as being tied together. Abraham climbed that mountain with his son, 
carrying wood on his back. And when asked where the sacrifice was, Abraham responded to his son by saying, God himself will provide the sacrifice, the ram in this case. And that is just what he did. Abraham and his faith was justified or proven to be right before God. That is, he rightly was placing his faith in God. Uh, and it was justified not only in front of God, but in front of all people that followed Abraham when he took Isaac to the top of that mountain. For James's readers and hearers who are blending into the world through the most unchristian and sinful ways that we've been reading about and will continue to read about, James encourages them that they should have some works to prove that their faith is true. They should not be completely imaginary, <laughs> like what their bad works would seem to prove. And then we're hit with another great example from James. A woman interrupts us here. Oh, women are always... No, no, this is good. Anytime you see a, a woman being brought up in scripture, especially someone like Rahab, you really start to take notice. I mean, maybe we don't really notice it that often, but it's usually men who are talked about. But here is Rahab. And Rahab is not typically the type of woman that you would bring home to meet the family. <laughs> Rahab was a prostitute. And so let's not sugarcoat this thing. She sold her body. Okay? She sold her body for safety, security, food, and actually God only knows what else for. And God only knows the pain and misuse that accompanied all of that. Maybe she ran other women like a brothel. Maybe she was expected to be a prostitute, uh, a temple prostitute who connected people to their gods. Maybe she has a side hustle in her home. We don't actually know the situation. You can read Joshua chapter 2 verses 1 to 24 for the whole story. What we do know is that she knew about our faithful God who has a plan for his people and at risk of her own life and business, she had faith. This faith was proven to be true and real when the strangest thing happened. Two good little Jewish boys who were scoping out the city for weaknesses found themselves in her house and she hid them and led them to safety. Verse 25, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James finishes this thought with a dead faith is a faith without works. Just like when a person's spirit departs to await the day of the Lord when they will be made whole again with a new resurrection body, <laughs> 
just like that, when their spirit leaves and their corpse is laying dead on the floor. That's what dead faith looks like. That's what faith without works looks like. And you can't keep that around for too long because it's going to stink and it's going to ruin a lot of things. The same is true with the profession of faith that says, Thank you, Jesus. I hope to never have to deal with you again. See, because Jesus said that if any of us wants to uh, see our forever home with God, then we better have a righteousness that goes well beyond uh, a person who follows step for step the law of God, the Pharisees. A faith that accepts the gifts of Jesus but refuses him and his people, his bride, is not meeting that standard of righteousness. The person who calls themselves a Christian because they got baptized once but has successfully avoided the church ever since, they clearly don't have that kind of righteousness to stand at the judgment. The person raised in the faith who can say the verses and even prays with passion and fervency and could move a mountain, if they do not show love through good works given to them by God, that person has something that they can call faith, but it's not going to save them. What about you? You have it, right? You know about Jesus' person and work. You know that it was for you. And you are resting and relying upon Jesus for your salvation. I'm not holding your feet to the fire, actually. This is not the time to question it. This is not the time to examine all your fruit or the fruit of your nearest neighbor. This is a reminder to run to Jesus. Because there is only one person whose righteousness can get us standing upright before God on that last day. Only Jesus' righteousness can do that for us. Only he can justify. When Abraham told his son, Isaac, that God himself would provide the necessary sacrifice, Abraham probably did not have a clue how true this statement would be. God himself gave himself in his perfect son, Jesus. And he did that for you. Our big idea for today was this, a faith gifted to you by Jesus saves you. This saving faith is busy and not lonely. Paul said it better in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is a free gift from God to sinners like you and me. Faith alone, in Christ alone, because of God's grace alone, saves you. Salvation is all His doing. And when He saves you, He gives you a very active Holy Spirit to produce in you the fruit of life. This is busy, active faith. Faith, a gift from God, saves you. And thankfully for our neighbors, ourselves, <laughs> and our brothers and sisters in Christ, that saving faith is never alone. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.